I told First Service that I don't get to see these videos um, until you get to see them. I don't even know exactly what they are. Pastor Rennie and Fresh do a great job putting them together. And uh, isn't that awesome? Um, I mean, these are, these are our family. These are lives here in this church. And, and then you hear what the Holy Spirit said to us earlier, right before that video, actually. And that was, it's about people. It's about people. How, how many more Max, Corys, Kathys are out there right now? Outside of the walls of this church that God is saying, man, I want you to get them. Future Corys, future Max, future Kathys, saying, just come, bring them in. This is what it's about. It's about reaching them so they can know Christ. <clears throat> I know there's a lot of things on everyone's mind. I know everyone received letters, and uh, we're going to go there in a little bit, but I don't want you to miss the service of what God wants to say this morning. So I'm going to go there in a little bit. But for now, I want you just to focus on what God is saying to you. I want to read some scriptures to you, and, uh, and I'm going to ask you just to close your eyes, if you would. Just close your eyes and take these in and really think about these words. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies." I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I want to ask you this morning this, at what point in your life do these words cease to be just scriptures that we read. Let me ask that again. At what point in your life do these scriptures that we read cease to be just scriptures that we read and become scriptures that we live? At what point do these scriptures become our lifestyles? It's more than words. It's more than opening your Bible, but it actually becomes like this mirror that we look at and when we read these scriptures, we actually know this actually reflects and paints a picture of me and how I live. It's that recognition that my very own life is not mine. It's that recognition that I am owned by God. That the life that I now live is lived with him first. And in all of that recognition that I am not my own, that when I've given my life to Christ, that I'm saying, man, this Selwyn identity is being pushed lower and the identity of Christ is being elevated higher. That when I get baptized and I actually, in front of everybody, get buried, it's symbolic of saying, man, I'm dying to me. And being rebirthed in Christ where he is truly the leader of my life. He really has ownership. And then in this process, that understanding that as he is in control of me, that his thoughts are not like my thoughts. And that his ways are not my ways. In fact, as far as the the heavens are from the earth, That's how far different he thinks. And so inside of me, this is taking place that that my thoughts and who I am are being pushed lower and I'm being taken over by God whose thinking and thought process and ways are so different than me. And inside of me, when this happens, guess what I have to suppress? My thoughts, my wants, my desires. It's not about that anymore. It's about his. See, it's easy to read. 
it's easy to declare. It's easy to say, man, those are wonderful scriptures. But see, that place, that transition, because it is a transition. See, when God steps in and his thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. His direction is nothing like your direction. His ways are nothing like your ways. Yet he has control. The only way he has control is in a truly surrendered life. It's in a death of self to say, okay, although, God, that's not my way. Although, God, that's not how I think. It's not how I want to go. But because I am dying, it's about you and that I am owned by you and my life is yours. It's got nothing to do with that, God. It's about you. At what point do these cease to be scriptures that we simply read and become reflective of the lifestyles that we actually live? Meaning that we live as though we're not our own. As though our lives are managed and directed by God, that we go and do what he says even when it's contrary to what we want. At what point do we really live lifestyles of stewardship? Stewardship is is the management of property that does not belong to you. And so when we recognize that we do not belong to ourselves and that we belong to God, we automatically become stewards. Not owners, stewards. My life is not mine. So when I look at that and I say, okay, my life is not mine. I am owned by God. And so what ultimately matters in my life is what God says, not what I say. And so when I am living as a steward, my direction comes from the owner, not from the one who's managing it. When was the last time at work, maybe your boss came up to you and said, hey, I really want you to do this. And you thought about it and you said, you know, I don't think that's real smart. And in fact, I don't know if I agree with everything. And so you went to your boss. You said, hey, listen, I, can you explain to me why you think this is the direction? And before I do this, I really want to make sure that it's safe and beneficial for me as we go down this way. How well would that conversation go down? Probably not too well. Because your boss would turn around and say, wait a second. Don't you work for me? Isn't this my decision, not yours? Don't you know you don't need to know all the answers? Don't you know that I am doing this because I have a purpose and I have a plan? And if I say do it, then just do it. You don't have to worry about that. I've got this covered. So many times in our lives, although we wouldn't do it to our bosses, we do it to God all the time. In fact, we act like owners rather than stewards. So when God comes to us and says, hey, I'm calling you, we step back and go, well, does this work for me? What do you mean, does it work for you? That's ownership, not stewardship. Is this safe for me? Is this beneficial for me? Hold on a second. What does it have to do with you? So you're acting like an owner, not a steward not a manager of property. So, so the reality is, is as we read these scriptures and, and, and we're fans of these scriptures, we may not be followers of these scriptures. We like them, we enjoy them, we celebrate them, we read them, but what point does that change from reading and taking in and memorizing to actually saying, no, this is how I live. This is my lifestyle. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2 says this, that it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. You understand that as a steward, you have been given a trust, a trust to run something that does not, or manage something that does not belong to you. You, are, you have a trust in your own life. I am of a trust in the life of Selwyn. And so what Scripture is saying is it is required that those who've been given a trust must prove faithful in managing that trust. You're not your own. Your decisions don't belong to you. They belong to God. And God says you must prove that you are faithful to manage what does not belong to you but belongs to Him. 
How is that trust proven faithful in our lives? How do you prove a trust faithful? Can I tell you, it happened for Moses when God told him out of a burning bush to go to Egypt. That trust was proven faithful in, to Joshua when he's standing on the east side of the flooding Jordan River on the banks and God says, get ready to go. It happened to Gideon when God reduced his armies down to 300 in the face of over 100,000 and said, unless I do this, you will take credit for it yourself. It happened to Peter when Jesus said, get out of the boat. See, it happens when God calls to each of us and he calls us out of our comfort and into the impossible. That trust is proven faithful when when, when you're standing and you're sitting in your comfort and everything's going okay and God says to you, hey, come to me. And you can look at everything and you go, oh, yeah, I'm not coming to you when you're over there. Go stand over there and I'll come to you. And God says, no, come join me in the impossible. Come stand on the waters with me. Moses, Go back to the place where you killed somebody. To your brother, the Pharaoh. Go back to them. Oh, I don't know, God. I stutter. I don't think I'm a great choice for that. Joshua, Moses is dead. This great leader is dead. Now you, Joshua, just you and these people get ready to go into that flooding Jordan River. But do not be terrified. Be strong and courageous. Do not be fearful. He tells them not to be terrified because it was terrifying. There's no way around it. It's when God speaks to you in the complacent or in the comfortable and calls you into the impossible where only he can stand. And you go, wow, and the terror is real and the fear is real and the situation is real. And he says, join me out here. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer puts it, and I love this, it happens when Christ calls us to come and die. He writes, Jesus Christ, when he calls us, he beckons us, come and die. To what? Die to ourselves. Die to our self-supporting ways. Die to our own logic. Die to our own paths. Die to our own ways and thoughts. It's at that moment in time when you stand on the bank of a miracle. It's at that moment of time when you're in your comfort zone and you're in your safety and all of a sudden God looks at you and puts out his hand and says, come to me. And he's aiming by his body language towards something that looks impossible. And it's at that point where you are standing on the banks of a flooding, raging river. You are standing on the bank of a miracle. You are standing at the brink of the amazing. And it's in that moment of decision. It's in that moment of trust. Do you step into the impossible? Do you step into his plan? Do you step into his life, into his way, into his provision? Or do you remain the same? See, it's at that point, if you've ever been there before, then you understand what I'm saying. It's at that point where your heart is pounding so hard, it wants to pound out of your chest. Have you been there? When God has called you to do something which seems crazy? Have you been there where you're standing there and God says, hey, listen, just come with me. And and everything in you goes, man, God, I really feel like you're saying this. And God, I want to be where you are. And and God, where you are and, and, and the direction that you're standing, where you are is scary. But God, I really feel like everything in me says that you are calling me to you. And the Holy Spirit inside of you is thrusting your heart forward and everything in you. And you just want to go. But at the same time, the flesh inside of you is pulling as hard as it can, back in the other direction and throwing up the impossible and throwing up fear and throwing back all these things saying, no, this is what needs to keep you. This is what you need to focus on. And it's in that moment of wrestling because it is a moment of wrestling. It's in that moment of wrestling. That's when it happens. 
that's when you cease to just read Scripture and when you begin to live Scripture. That's when you cease to talk about the miracles you want and experience the miracles. It's at that point of following Him. How was it for Peter when, 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 when Jesus is walking on the water and, and, and Peter says, Jesus, that's you call me to be with you because, man, I really want to be where you are. More than anything, I want to be where you are. And, and you know what? So, so Jesus doesn't walk over the boat so he can be where he is. He says, no, Peter, you come to where I am. I'm standing in the impossible. I'm standing in your biggest fear. You come to me. And now Peter's, he's got, he's got this torn in this. Like, where he's like, man, God, I, I want to be where you are. But where you are, I don't know that I want to be. Call me to you. And so he's got, to, he's got this wrestling taking place in his mind. Man, to actually raise your leg and get out of that boat. Have you been there? Are you there now? Why is it that we try to milk down Christianity so it's so easy and so user-friendly? Jesus wants you to be happy. Whatever makes you happy makes him happy. Going to church is not about him, it's about you. Worshiping is not about him, it's about you. Give me a break. That's garbage. Don't buy into that trash. I'm serious. God says, you just look to me. You grab hold of my hand and you will find joy in the impossible of going where I tell you to go. Your happiness will come from following me, not following yourself. Man, he calls us out. And, and, and at that moment, at that point of decision, man, we make that leap from reading to living. You know what I'm tired of hearing? I'm tired of hearing Christians say, how come we don't see miracles anymore? How come God doesn't do this like he used to do? I think God is saying, how come my people don't follow where I tell them to go? Maybe if my people were following and not trying to lead, maybe they would see more. So many times we want to stand back and say, God, when, when and I don't know where this theology comes from, but we all have it, including myself. I have to fight it all the time. When God just opens the door ahead of me while I'm lying back in my hammock drinking a glass of iced tea, then I will get up and move. I don't see that anywhere. And neither do you. Yet we try and convince ourselves of it. When God opens the doors ahead of me, then I'll go. And God goes, no. I want you to envision this. I want you to envision that God is, or Jesus is looking at you into your eyes. And he's stretching out his hand to you. And he's calling you by name, Jimmy, take my hand and come where I'm going. Jonathan, take my hand and come where I'm going. And you see him and you're looking and you're going, wait a second, God. The angle of your body position says you're going in that direction. And that direction looks kind of scary. Do you know what's over there? There's a flooding Jordan over there. There's a Jericho over there. There's Egypt over there. There are all these things over there. There's a massive army. I have 300 people. And Jesus says, just take my hand. Just take my hand. But hold on, God. How do you propose that we, how is this? Just take my hand. Just take my hand. But God, I, if you move over there and go that direction, I'll take your hand. And sometimes it's even worse. Sometimes we go, no, God, wait a second. Why don't you take my hand and go this way with me? This is more comfortable. That's scary. That's overwhelming. But God, I want you to do miracles. But I want you to do it from my safety, where it costs me nothing. See, what point in our lives do we go from reading Scripture to, to living Scripture? It happens when he calls us by a path that we do not know. It happens when he calls us to a place or to a thing where we don't have all the strategies, we don't have all the answers, when our eyes have to shift from our own planning because it's too big for us and go to his planning, and that our confidence is not that he's given us this big plan spelled out for us, but that 
we know that we can find rest in the fact that he has a plan and that we're following him. When we recognize his ways are so bigger than our ways, his thoughts are so different than our thoughts, it's got nothing to do with how I think, but it's got everything to do with how, where I place my faith and my trust. happens the moment you take his hand. You know, let let me say this too. Many of us have experienced miracles of God stepping in to our depths of despair and healing us, right? Many of us are here today because God stepped in at a point where we were so far gone, where we had tried everything else, we had turned to every other thing, we were doing all these things, and in our despair, we, after trying everything else, we then call out to God, and God, in his graciousness, steps into our lives and does an amazing miracle. Maybe you've had a disease or a sickness, and God has healed you. Can I say, that is an amazing miracle of God, but it is different. You know what's different about it? It's different because so many times we're crying out to God by default because we don't have anything else, and God uses that. You know what the difference between that kind of miracle and this kind of miracle? This kind of miracle is we're actually okay where we are. We're actually comfortable where we are. None of us were comfortable in our sickness. None of us were comfortable in our, in our desperation. And so we cried out to God, and we're grateful for God, and we see God. But when God calls you and you're standing in a place where you go, I'm actually kind of okay here. Where Moses is, he's in, the, he's in the desert, but he's living, and he's okay, and it's not dangerous. It may be mundane, but he's okay. And Joshua, they're on the east side of the Jordan, and, and, and you know what? They're there, and the land's pretty good over there, and they're going to be okay, so they're not going to die. It's not life or death for them, and that's where he calls them. For Peter, he's fine in the boat. See, the difference is is that when God speaks to you, God wants you to move out of your own decision. That you sit there and you're saying, you know, although I am comfortable here, although it seems to be going okay, maybe it's not the greatest position, but it's a whole lot better than going that way from at least what my mind says, because that looks impossible, that looks scary. And God brings it to that point where he says, man, no, I'm calling you, take my hand take my hand. And it's a choice that we make to step out of the complacency, step out of our safety, step out out of our comfort and into the impossible. And when you take a step into the impossible, after taking hold of his hands, he uses people like that. Why do you think these stories are in scripture of Moses and Joshua and Gideon? Is it really that we read them and go, those are nice for back then, but God doesn't move like that anymore. Why not? Is it that God doesn't move like that anymore, or is that people don't step out like that anymore? Because my Bible tells me that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And my God says that he is the God that's going to do miracles. My God says, man, I'm calling you to follow me. Let me tell you what happens. The minute you, you, you step out of that company, the minute you dare to grab hold of the hand of Jesus Christ, you become a follower of him. It's not until that point that you are truly following him. You might be a fan of his. You might like what he says, what he does. You might celebrate him. You might come to church. You might memorize scripture. But until you take his hand, and he is leading your life, you aren't following him. Unless the definition of following has changed, my understanding of when you follow someone, they're in front of you, not behind you. When you follow someone, they go ahead of you. They lead the way. The moment you reach out and take his hand is the point when your life changes forever. You go from reading scripture to living in scripture. You go from praying for miracles to living and witnessing miracles. When you take his hand, it is Jesus who goes ahead of you. It is no longer you leading, but him leading. And with him in the front, taking on every challenge that comes your way. Do you understand that when he leads and when he's actually in front of you and you are following him, he goes into the challenges before you do. 
Do you realize that when you are following him, he goes into the obstacles before you even get there? And do you understand that when God goes into obstacles, they disappear? See, a mountain is no obstacle for the man who made it. A river is no obstacle for the God who spoke it into existence. I don't care how much it's raging. And God says, take my hand and see where we go. And when you follow him, he always goes ahead of his people. And it's only at that point that you really become a follower of Jesus. There's a big difference between celebrating and being a fan and following. Open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. It's at this point in this story, as we've been doing this Get Ready series, the title of this message is really Get Ready to See, Get Ready to See What God Does When We Follow Him. We find Joshua and the Israelites camped out on the east side of the Jordan in the midst of the field. They've been camped out next to this flooding Jordan River for three days. As we said last week, if you haven't got these messages, you can listen to them free online or you can get a CD, but I encourage you get them. Because God has been speaking to us in them. And so they've been camped out next to this obstacle for three days. How many of you know when you camp out next to an obstacle, the bigger it can become? They went to bed hearing the raging river. They woke up hearing the raging river. They saw the raging river all day long. And so it was overwhelming to them. For three days they sat there. God didn't begin to dry it up bit at a time. He just let it rage. He wanted them to really understand how big this obstacle was. And so they're, they're camped out next to the impossible. They're camped out next to the unknown, next to the danger having chosen to take the hand of God without all of the answers. And it is now his hand, the hand of God, that leads them into the impossible. Joshua chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Let me pause here real quick. I love how Joshua writes this. He says, so when the people broke camp to cross the the Jordan, the priest came to Ark went ahead of them. And then he pauses for a second. And he says, by the way, just to remind you of how impossible this is, let me tell you about the Jordan. They're getting ready to move. They're moving out already. And by the way, don't forget, see, Joshua's highlighting the impossible here because he wants the readers to understand how impossible and how crazy this is. By the way, the Jordan, as it is at every harvest time, is at flood stage, and this is happening. He says the readers need to know that. Carrying on. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarephan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. And so the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. The moment they die to themselves, the moment the Israelites go against what logically makes sense. Guys, there is nothing logical about walking towards a raging river with the thought that you're going to walk through it, Right? And we agree on that. The moment they die to themselves, their own logic, their own comfort, and they choose to follow God, it wasn't a decision that allowed them to sit back and do nothing. The minute they grabbed onto their God's hands and said, okay, it required action. And if you read the story, you're going, okay, wait a second, the, the ark went ahead of them. Yes, but they had to prep themselves. Do you know that 40,000 of them went ahead armed? They armed themselves. They packed their gear. They packed their stuff. They prepped to move. They lined up. At that point, when that ark is moving, the decision has been made. We are following God. They are prepped and ready to go. 
And at that point, the Jordan is no longer their obstacle. It's God's obstacle. Because at that point, he is now leading and they are following. They are following his presence. And God makes himself to be a spectacle for them. He says to them, now you stand back a thousand yards as I and the priest go ahead. He's showing off as God can. He's saying, I want to show you. You've been camped out next to this obstacle. Make sure you have a good view about what's about to happen. And let me show you my power and show you my authority. You have no idea what's going to happen, but let me show you what I'm going to do. And standing back, they watch. See, if I step into an obstacle, nothing happens. If someone goes in an obstacle, it remains an obstacle. But if God steps in an obstacle, there's nothing bigger than he who created it. And when you are following Jesus, if you really are following Jesus, then he is always in front. And when he's always in front, like I said earlier, means he always goes first. The problem that we have today is that we say we are following him, but the truth is we aren't. The truth is we are following our own desires for comfort. We're following our own wants, our own ways, our own thoughts, our own paths, all while declaring that they are his. Let me show you what that looks like. God, that's my dream. That's the way I'm going. Jesus, come with me. Let me take your hand. I really like having you around. You are a God that does the amazing. You conquered death and the grave. You parted rivers. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you to come with me that way. That's where I'm going. And God goes, mm -mm. we're going that way. No, we're not going that way, God. No, we're going this way. Just come with me. And then we go to the obstacles and we go, man, this is standing in the way of where I want to go. Praise Jesus. You're right here. God, according to Scripture, I'm standing on your promises. You are the God who parts the oceans. You are the God that conquered death, sin, and the grave. You defeated all the... God, go. And I will shout it from the heaven top. And declare what you have done as I glorify myself and go after my dreams. That's disgusting. That's funny. God, you're here when I need you for me. I'm a big fan of you. I do not deny your power. I don't deny who you are. But man, God, and you know what's happening? We're trying to drag him along behind us. And when we do that, we go in the obstacles before he does. And when we go in the obstacles ahead of him, they're still obstacles. And then we go, God, where are you? This is what you're supposed to do. I don't understand. The problem is you were never following God to begin with. You were following yourself and your dreams and Satan convinced you that it's okay, and we begin to define God by what, by, by what makes us comfortable, and his direction by what makes me internally happy. And we take him with us. And Jesus says, no, we're going that way. That's not where I want to go. My thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways. Have you been crucified with me or not? You say that you no longer live, but I see someone alive and well in your life and going the other way. Guys, we can be huge fans of Jesus and not followers of him. And I don't care how much scripture you know, you can know all of it, you can recite it backwards to me, it doesn't mean a thing unless you're living it. It's not how much scripture that you know, it's how much scripture that you live. And the reality of it. So God calls us and says, man, I want you to follow me. And if you will take hold of my hand, John, or Peter, and grab my hand, I will go ahead of you. 
and I will lead you into the impossible, and you will walk on waters, and you will see rivers part, and you will see oceans, and you will see your enemies defeated, and you will go where I've told you to go, but you need to trust me and let me do the leading and you do the following. Is that happening in your life? You know, yes, God's given us brains. And God's given us the ability to rationalize and look at things logically. But that's never supposed to come over him and what he says. In fact, Abraham says that he recognized the odds when he, the promise was given him that he'd have a son. He recognized that Sarah's womb was dried up and he was an old man. Yet he hoped against hope that despite all of these things, what God says is the real fact compared to what the world says what our mindset says. But when we let go of that and we really die to ourselves and say, Lord, I want to take hold of your hand. Remember I said there's that pounding of your heart? See, this is uncomfortable for us. This whole message, if you're really going to take it, then it's going to be a very uncomfortable thing for you. And I'm talking to all of you. I'm talking to me. That point where you're saying, no, I'm really dying to me. And I, I, can I tell you something? There are a lot of pastors that need to hear this message. That's all. There are a lot of spiritual people that think they are all squared away. But really, sometimes they're following God because it ministers to them to follow God. They're preaching to people because it's really more about them than it is about God. It makes them feel good. They need to be needed. They need to be elevated. They need to be in the spotlight. They need to be prominent. They need to be seen as spiritual leaders, and they get upset when they're not. Is that about God, or is that about them? See, that's the truth. And so when you get to that point where you're going, man, that heart pounding out of your chest, and you're saying, God, it's not about me. Can you really die to you? Can you, can you really die to your desire to be heard? Can you really die to your desire to be recognized? Can you really die to your desire to be in the spotlight? Can you really die to your desire to say, I have to be successful, I have to succeed? Can you really die to that? And really say, God, I'm laying that all down. God, it's, it's on you. I am coming after you. It's got nothing to do with me. God, I am nothing and you are everything in my life. That is a hard thing to do. That's why it's called dying to self. We can say it so easily, but can we actually live it? But let me tell you, if you will do that, God will take you to places you never dreamed possible. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can conceive what God has for those who love him. You can't even begin to dream or imagine your life. Your ways and your paths, can I tell you, without sounding horrible, are pathetic compared to what he has for you. Don't settle for your dreams. Don't settle for your ways. Don't settle for your thoughts. Man, go after his because his are far greater than your own. And he has a plan and a mission for you. But it will come to a heart-pounding decision. A decision, man, God, I really want to go this way. And then the rationale and probably all your friends, godly people going, you're crazy. God, I wouldn't do that to you. You know, sometimes people say things because it justifies their own lack of action. You understand that? Because if, if, if all of a sudden you're going to take this step towards God, and I haven't done that, then that makes me look or feel bad. And if you're right, then maybe I'm wrong. I don't like to be wrong. Are we going to follow God or are we going to follow other people? Are we going to follow other things? Are we going to follow our own selfish desires? When we are leading, we are in front. And when we are in front, then we step into obstacles before he does. Let me tell you something. And so getting back to the story, as soon as the priest's feet, right, they're, they're carrying the ark, the priest had to go first. God says, me and the priest, we're going. The people got to stand back and go, okay, they've committed. We're going to follow. But the priest had to go first. They went with God. 
they had to make a decision. Do we believe this is what God was going to do? And as they're walking towards the water, it's still raging a thousand yards away. And they're walking closer and closer, and it's still raging 800 yards away. It's still raging 500 yards away. It's still raging 200 yards away. And they're probably going, okay, God, this is not beginning to happen. It's still raging 100 feet, 20 feet, 10 feet, 3 feet. It is still a raging obstacle. And they lift their feet, and the minute they put their feet in that water, and the presence of God Almighty enters that obstacle, it ceases to exist. It doesn't just dry up a narrow, small path where God says, hurry up. I don't know how long I can keep this up for. No, it dries up and piles up a great distance away, says God's word. You understand that the path through that obstacle was huge. It wasn't small. It wasn't tiny. It wasn't all oh, barely squeezed by to get through this narrow path. You know, they couldn't even see. It was so big. It was like there was no river at all. It was dry ground. And they step into it. And God says, I just want you to know what I can do. Who has the real authority in this life and in this world? That river has no authority. And what I love, probably one of the most things I love about this is that God has the priests walk right slap bang into the middle of the impossible. And he says, stay here. And they stay in the middle of the impossible. God's presence enters the middle and says, I'm going to be right here until everyone following me walks through on dry ground. He stays in the impossible. He stays in the midst of this, and, and he just roots himself there as the people walk through on dry ground. They all go through, two million of them, and he stays right in the middle because the battle is his, not theirs. And then he's not done yet. Then he says, I want 12 people to come back into it. One person from each tribe, come back into it because I want you to get stones because we're going to build an altar. He didn't say grab a stone from the side of the river. He says, no, you come back in, and the stones are to be taken right where the feet of the priest stand with the ark, right from the middle of the obstacle. I want you to take stones as almost as souvenirs to say, that's a poor word for it, but just grab these. This is where the presence of God was, and it was in the middle of everything, and take it and build it. And when your kids go, what are these about? You can say, those stones are from the middle of that river, and not just that river, that river at flood stage. What? That's crazy. Yeah, let me tell you that story. And let me tell you about who my God is. Let me tell you about, we camped out for three days. It was impossible. I saw an entire tree wash. I mean, you know how we get. We start defining the miracles. Like, man, it is crazy what God did. And it washes down. And he says, that's who my God is. The priests come in. They get the stones. They go back out. I mean, the 12 representatives come in. And they go back out. And scripture tells us that that obstacle stays dry all the way through until the priests walk out. So the minute they took their feet out of that river, it ran back at flood stage again. The minute God's presence left that obstacle, it became just a bigger obstacle as it ever was before. But it wasn't until everyone following Christ walked through on dry ground. And yes, they were following Christ. You read Corinthians, he referenced it, man. They follow me. He, he's always been around. They follow. It was like a baptism. It's actually referenced as a baptism. They were following Christ. Think back to the Red Sea, right? With the Egyptians on, 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 the, on the tails of the, of the Israelites. And, and Moses raises out the staff as God tells him. And God parts the waters. And everybody walks through this Red Sea. And guess what? The Egyptians, they're not following Christ. They're following the people. They're coming to get them. They enter the obstacle too. Except they didn't come out on the other side. Because they weren't following Christ. When God's presence left that, it became an obstacle again, and they were caught in the middle of it. And it's important to be following Christ. It was led by the priests. They had to follow God first before the people did. Let me ask you this question. What if the priests had been afraid to take that first step? What if it came down to it, they're there, and it's time to go, and the priests were like, I don't know. I was confident in this on day two. 
but I thought something would have happened. No, God says, no, me and the priests, we're going to go first. Life Application Bible, in the commentary section, actually says this about this passage. It says, often God provides no solution to our problems until we trust him and move ahead with what we know we should do. God doesn't want us to trust our solutions. God doesn't want us to trust our plans. God doesn't want us to trust our processes. God wants us to trust him. And so many times he will block the plan and block the process and block our systems so that we're not looking for security in our systems, but we're looking for security and safety in his plan that he has for us, that he's got us. Folks, this is exactly where we are today. This Get Ready series started off as several sermons, but the reality, it has really turned into our lives. I don't feel like we've just been preaching this message. I feel like we've been living this series as a church. I don't know that we intended it to go this way, but as we've been preaching, God just began revealing things to us as leaders. We are le- living this story like never before, and God is speaking to us in the midst of it. Over the past several months, as you guys know, we've had a building committee that's been meeting. If you were at the annual business meeting, then you came and you heard and you, and you saw the Get Ready um, book that we have. If you don't have it, we have it at the back where it basically highlights all the research we've been doing. I encourage you to get that if you don't have that. But after that business meeting, we were just praying, God, what are our next steps and we felt like God was calling us and laid it on our hearts that we need to step out, step out from our safety, step out from our security, step out from our comfort. It wasn't him that we were waiting on who had to move. It was us who had to move. It wasn't that God was going to part the waters ahead of us. Is that we had to believe and trust him and move first that we needed to take his hand in the midst of the obstacles without all the answers, without all the solutions, without all the strategy. And so as we did this, this led to prayer and fasting. As a committee, we're like, man, we we can't afford to make a mistake here. We've got to follow God. We don't want to follow anything else. Is this what God is saying to us? And so the committee prayed and fasted for two weeks, and we came back together after those two weeks And we sat around the table, and although we didn't have all the answers or all the strategy, one by one as we went around the table, each member said, you know what, we don't have all the answers, but I really believe this is what God is calling us to do, that we need to take this to the board. And so they wrote a proposal, and it went to the board. The board met, we read the proposal, Board asked some tough questions because there are tough questions that have to be asked. And the board said, you know what, we've got to pray. And that was the proposal from the, from the building committee. Would you pray about this? And so the board went a month from one board meeting to another board meeting, praying and fasting to hear what God was saying to us in the midst of it. Let me tell you how things work at the board, just so you know a little bit. If God were to speak to one of us as the pastors, and we, we talk to each other, and we feel like this is what God is saying, we say, God, show us how to do this. And then when we go to the board, we like to say, hey, this is what God is saying, and this is what we're saying is the process for this happening. And it's kind of good for the board, because they go, okay, you're not just bringing us something with no process. Okay, yes, this sounds good. We feel like this, and we pray about it, and we go forward or whatever. But in this one, we really felt like, the, the building committee really felt like God was saying, no, there is no process. The process is to take my hand. That's uncomfortable. When you go to the board, we go, yeah, there's a lot of questions, and and we don't have all the answers because we feel like we're not supposed to, that God has this. Well, that, in turn, can lead to a lot of questions. That leads to a little bit of like, oh, wait a second, this is scary ground, right? Right? We like to have processes. In my own life, I like to have a system. I like to have a plan. I I just prefer that. But God was saying no, because I believe God is going to make this a personal thing for each one of us in this church. And so the board went, and we, and we prayed for three weeks. Um, our board meeting, next board meeting was three weeks away. We came back, and we talked about it, and we decided, you know what? We need to pray some more. We prayed for another two weeks and fasted for another two weeks. And then we met a couple of Sundays ago, and we sat around the room, and we said, okay, what do you feel? And, and what we said to the board was this. As you, 
you've got to say what you feel God is saying. If, if you feel like God is saying no, you've got to say that. You have a responsibility to say no. If you feel like God is saying yes, then you have a responsibility to say yes. Everything we say to you, we do. It's not about us. It's about what does God want for this church. We went around that room, and everyone, everybody was there. Unanimously said, we don't have the answers, but we feel this is what God is telling us to do. We feel like we need to take this to the church. Because ultimately, it comes down to the decision that's made by this membership and by this congregation. I want to tell you something that happened the Thursday before. I know I'm going along, but this is important stuff. We've been praying and fasting for the second period, right? The, the last two weeks. The week before I had preached, some of you remember, and I remember telling you how we'd gone to Vanuatu and, and how I'd prayed, God, would you, would you confirm this through Lori? You guys remember when I said that and how God confirmed it through Lori? While I was preaching that, my mind was on this as well, and I thought, God, I'd really like a confirmation as well on this. I didn't actually pray it. I was just thinking it. That Thursday... We were voting as a board on that Sunday. That Thursday, we went to a sectional meeting at uh, Crossroads Worship Center where Pastor Karen's the pastor. What a sectional meeting is is where all the AG pastors come together who pastor in a certain area. We meet together, we pray together, we talk about things, and, and we go on. And we walk in, and, and Corey Bridal was with me, and uh, Beth Morse was with me. Rennie couldn't make it. And I walk in, and I actually introduce Corey to, um, to Pastor Karen. And Ke- Pastor Karen goes, oh, this is the second Corey. For those who know our history, Pastor uh, Hugh Corey was one of our pastors, a phenomenal pastor and also superintendent here. Lovely, godly man. And so we started talking, and Corey goes, oh, I, I know all about the history. We've been learning about it. And Karen started talking about, man, everything that we had said during the Holy Spirit week. She said, man, you know, how God Times was founded on this boy preacher. Remember we told, we just preached on this, right? And how he hung crutches behind the pulpit where he preached. And, and how people came in and were getting healed. And out of that, several, from my understanding, several Pentecostals were, uh, churches were launched, but this one was one of them. And she said, actually, she said, she's a wealth of knowledge when it comes to history, Pastor Karen is. And she's like, yeah, God Town is one of the founding churches. It was just amazing. And then we went and sat down, and I didn't think anything of it. And Pastor Karen says, guys, and she starts talking and saying the very same thing that we just preached in our, in our Holy Spirit series, right before this series. We have been saying this, if you remember it, man, the only way that we're going to reach this surrounding community for God is that the power of the Holy Spirit is manifested in this church and in our lives, where we see miracles, and we need more of him and less of us, and we need God, and we were praying that way. Pastor Karen comes up and says the exact same thing. She goes, we need to see more of this. She goes, in my own, she's being very transparent, in my own life, in my own church, in our lives, we need more of this, and of course, it's resonating with my heart, because I'm going, we just preached this, this is great, and she goes, man, and then she goes, so we were just talking about the history of glad tidings, and she goes into how the boy preacher, and, and, and things we talked about, and then she goes, can we pray? So for about 15 minutes, we prayed. Right after that, she looks over and she says to um, Beth Morse, can you tell us a little bit about missionettes? And Beth did that. Then she looked at her youth pastor who was there and said, can you tell us about youth? And he says a few things about youth. And then he says, can I say something? And she goes, sure. And he stops and he looks at me. Now, I don't know this guy. I know him. I've met him. I've shook his hand, but I don't know him. He looks at me and says, so while we were praying, he said, God showed me Glad Tidings Church. And he said, and it was a two-story sanctuary, which is what we have. And he said, and there were crutches and, and things hung all over the walls. And God said for me to tell you, your building cannot, he said, your facilities cannot contain what God is doing and is, going, is doing now and is going to do. You need new facilities. I looked at Corey and Beth and I said, did I say something? Like, I was trying to make sure. It was so specific. I, did, I didn't mention anything, did I? And so I'm like, nope, you didn't mention that thing. Blown away by that. He said this. He said, God says it's not over. I wasn't really excited about the new facility part. You know what I was really excited about? That God said it's not over. That God said that he is doing this now in this place and that he is going to move. It's the very thing we were praying for during that whole series on the Holy Spirit. God, would you manifest your presence and your power in this church and in our lives? And what he said was this, I am going to do what you asked me to do. And as a byproduct of me moving, you need something bigger to contain my movement. The focus was not on the building. The focus was on him moving and his spirit and his healing, 
and all of that. And that was so exciting to hear that. I want you to know, I came back to the church, I didn't say a word to any board member about that. Because I didn't want to influence any decision. I didn't say anything about that till that Sunday. We voted the next Sunday. After everybody voted, I said, I want to tell you what God did on Thursday. Because we wanted people to hear from God and not be influenced. I tell you because this is our story. This is what has brought us to this point. These are some of the confirmations we feel that God has given us along the way. This past Friday and Saturday, you probably received a letter from us. And if you did not, if you would raise your hands, we want to put one into your hands right now. And for some reason, my letters disappeared. I need one too. I need to raise my hand. <laughs> Thank you. This letter would have come to you Friday or Saturday. If you haven't got one yet, either it's just delayed, we'll get there to you on Tuesday because Monday's a holiday, or we don't have your address because some of our mail gets returned. And so we want everyone to have one of these letters. This letter is from the board to you. And this is what it says. Greetings, Glad Tidings family. God has been using this church for 88 years to reach the lost and heal the brokenhearted here on the South Shore. Because our facilities have become inadequate for the ministry needs of Glad Tidings Church, we've been seeking God's will for direction, vision, and our future. The board asks you to prayerfully consider the following. The proposal. Following several weeks of prayer and fasting, the board of Glad Tidings Church unanimously proposes the following. Whereas the current building at 158 Washington Street has become inadequate for the needs of the congregation, we propose that the current building be put up for sale and new temporary home be rented, leased for Glad Tidings Church. In recognition that there will be many questions concerning the weight of this proposal, we invite you to an informational meeting scheduled for Sunday, October 26th, which is two weeks from now, immediately following the second service. We encourage you to bring your questions so we can address them together as a church. This is an incredibly important decision. We ask that we, the church, join together for corporate fasting on the following dates, then come together for prayer at Glad Tidings on the evenings. Tuesday, October 28th, Thursday, October 30th, Tuesday, November 4th. All those will be times of prayer. And then on Wednesday, November 5th, will be a night of worship. After these corporate times of prayer and fasting, there will be a special business meeting on Sunday, November 9th, after second service, where the members will vote on the proposal. Please continue to pray and trust God for his direction and leadership. Sincerely, Glad Tidings Board, Joshua 1.9. Be strong and courageous, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. We are calling you to prayer. The decision rests in your hands. The priests were told to go ahead. Your leadership has gone ahead. But the people were not told to follow the priests. They were told to follow God. We're asking you to pray and fast. We have four weeks. We have gone way ahead to make sure everyone has this. We have two weeks until an information meeting where you can come and we can ask questions and we can go through this together. And then after that, we have another two weeks of prayer and fasting. Guys, we are asking, we are expecting you in the next four weeks to hit the ground with your knees and pray. Pray that God will speak to you. We don't want to go ahead of God. We don't want to go behind God. This is his church. This is not mine. This is not the board's. This is not yours. This is his we're not asking you to come with your personal feelings, with your comforts, and with your personal preferences. We're asking you to come here saying, this is what I feel God is saying to me. And they might be despite my personal comforts. And if God says no, then that's what you need to say. And if God says yes, then that's what you need to say. That's what you need to say. Let, me, let me say this to you. I'm asking, we're asking you to do this because this is what God expects. You expect me to come here and not give sermons based on my personal preference and my comforts and my likes. You expect me to go and preach what God has said. And half the time I preach and I'm going, this is right for me. 
This is nailing me first. It happens all the time. You expect the board, and you hold the board to a standard where you say, we expect you to hear from God. Not hear from your personal feelings and what everybody else says. You are to hear from God. And honestly, you are completely right and need to be that way in that. That's your responsibility. But we too hold you to the same standard. We expect you to hear from God. God has designed us in such a way. He hasn't given us all the answers. We can't tell you everything. And so that can be scary for you. And I think it's exactly the way God has designed it. I think God is saying, this is, this is a corporate move, but it starts with an individual attitude. So many times it's easy for church to sit back and go, well, I agree with their decision, I don't agree with their decision, and this is what I think. No, the decision is yours. Which means the decision is God's. And God says we must hear from him. Your leaders have gone ahead as much as we can go ahead saying we feel this is what God is saying so we're bringing it to you. But you would be wrong if you say, well, our leaders are doing this, therefore I think it's okay. No. God says you need to, this is your decision. This is your personal. What is God saying to you? Where is this going? We are doing this together. This isn't the pastors or the board. This is us. This is us. We will cross the Jordan together in one accord, looking to him. But we have to seek his face. We have to pray fast. We are asking you, please do this. Don't say you're going to do it, please. I want to tell you again that 1 Corinthians 4.2 says this, it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. You, by members in this church, have been given a trust and you must prove faithful to pray and seek God for this. We want, and we, we ask you, clear your schedules for those corporate days of coming together. Please clear your schedules. Please come and pray with us as we continue to pray. We are continuing to pray, God, open doors, close doors, as you see fit. We only want your will. If you want us to stay, we will stay. If you want us to go, we will go. But God, open the doors, close doors, show us what you're doing so that we can be effective. And don't let our hearts and our pining hearts and our fear and our own desires for comfort or whatever it may be keep us from going where you want us to go we need to hear your voice as we say this i cannot be honest with you it's scary it's exciting but we want to be a church that follows god I want to be a church that does anything else. I want to be a church. The minute this board thinks that I'm following myself, they need to fire me. Okay? And you do too. The minute Selwyn creeps into this, get rid of me. The minute you think, if, if you think that, if, the minute the board leads like that, get rid of them. You need people that follow God. Okay? And we need to be a people in a church that follows God. And God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. So we will pray. Will you pray with us? I'm asking you, will you pray with us? More so than this, what about you on an individual level? See, we're not going to be a church that talks about this. We're not going to talk about how you need to have faith for things while we don't have faith. We're living this out in the concern as big as this is, as overwhelming. We're not pretending it's not there. We're not going to Fill your ears full of smoke and say, oh, it's so easy. No, it's huge. It's impossible. But if it's God telling us to do it, it's not impossible. But what about you? How does this affect you? See, this, is, this here is a corporate thing, but this message is an individual one. If it doesn't start in your own heart with the own, your own lifestyle, then where does it go? It means nothing. How are you honoring God with your life? Who is really leading you? Is it your own comforts that are leading you? Is it, is it that what's taking you where you're going? Or are you really following God? Are you following your need for, 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 for to, to be in the spotlight or to be heard? What are you following? Are you following your ways or are you following God's? And my prayer is that you will answer that question with God first. And as you daily 
crucify yourself to Christ. He will lead you where he wants you to go. Do you know that God has amazing plans for you? Do you know that God has amazing purpose for you? Please don't hijack your life with your own desires and your own thoughts. Don't settle for what you can achieve by yourself. You were made for so much more than that. But you have to let go of your ways and grab hold of his hand and follow him and let him lead you into the amazing and into the miraculous. Amen? Will you stand to your feet? I want to ask some of our board members and some of our, our deacons and prayer team to come forward and make themselves available for prayer. I just want to pray for us. Lord Jesus, we come before you and we say again, this church is yours. It doesn't belong to me, any pastor, any board member, God, or any member. It belongs to you. God, at the same way we declare our lives are yours. They don't belong to us as individuals. They belong to you. And God, would you individually have your way in our lives? God, if we have been following our own selves, our own dreams, our own passions, our own comforts, God, would you convict us of that? Would you bring it to the surface so that we can hand it over to you, God, and ask you to forgive us, Lord Jesus? And would you help us to lay ourselves down, to die to ourselves, and take hold of your hand, that we may go where you want us to go, Lord God, as individuals, that we can embrace the ministry and the amazing and the miracles that you have for us, God, that we can truly live and walk where you want us to live and walk. And God is a church. God, this is about nobody else except you. It's about your vision. It's about your people. It's about the lost. God, we surrender everything to you. Every agenda, every plan. God, would your will be recognized? Would it come to us? Would it come to pass? Would you keep us from making mistakes? God, would you keep us on the path that you have for us? God, would you go before us? Would you go behind us? Would you close doors and open doors only according to your will? Our hope and our confidence is in you and you alone. Not a plan, not a procedure, not a strategy. God, it's only in you. Take this church where you want this church to go, that your name would be glorified and that your kingdom and your kingdom alone would be built. In Jesus' name, amen. We love you guys. These altars are open. Please be in prayer. We'll see you next week.